Numbers chapter 5, verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, 2. Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper and every one that hath an issue, and whosoever is unclean by the dead. If you have a oozing sore, or if you have leprosy, which also makes the skin unclean, or if you touched a dead body, you can't be inside the camp. 3. Both male and female shall ye put out without the camp shall ye put them, that they defile not their camp in the midst whereof I dwell. This is a hygiene law to make sure that nobody gets diseases. It doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman. If they could potentially carry filth and disease, they have to be outside the camp. 4. And the children of Israel did so. 4. And the children of Israel did so, and put them out without the camp, as the Lord spoke unto Moses, so did the children of Israel. Now this doesn't mean that they were sleeping under the stars. They had tents, but their tents were outside. By camp, it's kind of like their portable city. 5. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, 6. Speak unto the children of Israel. When a man or a woman shall commit any sin that men commit, to commit a trespass against the Lord, and that soul be guilty, 2. Then they shall confess their sin which they have done, and he shall make restitution for his guilt in full, and add unto it the fifth part thereof, and give it unto him in respect of whom he hath been guilty. Trespass is when you harm a person, and God considers it sin. A sin is when you directly offend God. It's all sin, but when you do it to a human being, it's a trespass. It's because humans are equals. When we offend each other, it's a trespass, because we're equals. All of this is sin, because you have to be forgiven, and you can't be forgiven until you repent. And in the Old Covenant, you have to give back to over 20% of what you took. The trespass is usually going to be you stealing from somebody, in most cases. You have to give what you took plus 20%. 8. But if the man have no kinsman to whom restitution may be made for the guilt, say for instance, you took something from somebody and they're dead, then you would give it to their oldest son, second oldest son, and going on down the line. But if there's nobody you can give it to, the restitution for guilt which is made shall be the Lord's, even the priest's, besides the ram of the atonement, whereby atonement shall be made for him. In addition to the sacrificing the ram to get your forgiveness, you will pay restitution to the Lord himself if you can't pay it to the person's family whom you owe it, then it becomes the Lord's. There's a difference between restitution and the sacrifice. Both are required for forgiveness because if you don't make restitution, you're not really sorry. You know, God is really smart. He can tell by our actions what's in our heart. For instance, if I steal five dollars from somebody and I tell them, oh, I'm sorry, but I don't care to give it the five dollars back, I'm not really sorry. And God says to make sure that you don't do it again, you have to give five dollars plus 20 percent, which is seven dollars, to prove that you're sorry, not only to that person, but to God himself. If you don't make restitution, that isn't a genuine repentance. But in addition to that, there still has to be a sacrifice for sin. Now in the new covenant, it's Jesus himself. But in the old covenant, they had to bring an animal. Sinning costs something if you want to get forgiven, because it's the restitution plus the sacrifice. 9. And every heave offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel, which they present unto the priest, shall be his. For the heave offering is like when you're giving thanks for what the Lord gave you. The heave offering is an offering of thankfulness in the form of an animal. And it's heaved onto the altar with the pitchfork 
utensil that the priests use, and it becomes food for that priest and his family. 10. And every man's hallowed things shall be his. Whatsoever any man giveth the priest, it shall be his. If you give something to the Lord, you don't take it back. 11. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, 12. Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man's wife go aside, and act unfaithfully against him. 13. And a man lie with her carnally, and it be hid from the eyes of her husband. That's adultery, but the husband doesn't have any proof. She being defiled secretly, and there be no witness against her, neither she be taken in the act. 14. And the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be defiled. Or if the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be not defiled. Sometimes adultery happens, but you don't have any proof of it because there's no witnesses. They aren't caught in the act. But you know how you know when somebody's cheating on you? God is saying, if you think your wife is cheating on you, but you have no proof, this is what you do. And also, God knows that it's possible that a husband would suspect his wife cheated on him, and she would actually be innocent. So whether she's guilty or innocent, this is what you do. 15. Then shall the man bring his wife unto the priest, and shall bring her offering for her the tenth part of an ephah of barley meal. He shall pour no oil upon it, nor put frankincense thereon. For it is a meal offering of jealousy, a meal offering of memorial, bringing iniquity to remembrance. Now iniquity is sin, and if it's bringing iniquity to remembrance, it means it's revealing or exposing sin. It's a grain offering made of barley, but they don't add frankincense or oil. It won't be a sweet savor to the Lord, so they don't add frankincense or oil, because this is a bitter thing. It causes jealousy when somebody cheats on you. It's not a happy moment of thanksgiving or anything like that. They bring the Lord a meal offering. The wife doesn't have to provide the meal offering or the sacrifice. It's her husband's responsibility to do this, even if she's guilty, because he's the one who wants to reveal the sin He's the one who wants the Lord to speak. And also, he is the priest and the head of the household. He's the one in charge. He's responsible, even if she's the one who sinned. And that's because Jesus also made himself responsible, even though his bride sinned. We are the bride of Christ, but all of us have sinned. But Jesus made himself responsible for our sin by dying on the cross for our forgiveness. And the husband, who represents Jesus in the family, he has to act out with that same humility and responsibility of Christ. 16. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, which would be before the tabernacle. 17. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel, and of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it into the water. Obviously, this is water that's been in the presence of the Lord that's been used for holy purposes. They have to use water to bathe sacrifice animals, and they also have to use water for the priests to wash their hands and feet, and sometimes their whole body. If it's the high priest, it's holy water because everything is consecrated to the Lord. The dust that's on the tabernacle is also kind of holy in a sense. It's also from the presence of the Lord. They take the dust, sprinkle it into the water, 18. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord, and let the hair of the woman's head loose. This is interesting because in the New Testament, Paul says that hair is the covering and glory. It's the crown of a woman, is her long hair, because it, it covers her body. I mean, they're wearing clothes, but still it covers her even more over the clothing. Having the hair loose over her is a sign of modesty. 
and put the meal offering of memorial in her hands, which is the meal offering of jealousy, and the priest shall have in his hand the water of bitterness that causeth the curse. You see, what's going to happen is God is going to curse her if she's guilty, and then that's how they'll know. Or he's going to not curse her if she's innocent, because only God knows in this case. Nobody else could know except her, God, and whoever she committed adultery with, if she did. God is going to reveal her sin by either cursing her or not. 19. And the priest shall cause her to swear, and shall say unto the woman, If no man have lain with thee, and if thou hast not gone aside to uncleanness, being under thy husband, be thou free from this water of bitterness that causeth the curse. She's going to agree with this, and that's the oath that she's going to swear is that she agrees. 20. But if thou hast gone aside, being under thy husband, and if thou be defiled, and some man have lain with thee besides thy husband. 21. Then the priest shall cause the woman to swear with the oath of cursing, and the priest shall say unto the woman, The Lord make thee a curse and an oath among thy people, when the Lord doth make thy thigh to fall away, and thy belly to swell. I mean, the woman could always just say, yeah, I'm guilty, I committed adultery. But if she's going to claim innocence, she's swearing it, and she's also swearing that she agrees with what the Lord is going to do. Now, by thigh falling away, I think that might mean that her thighs sag and they're not beautiful anymore. Maybe they get fat around the thigh, because thin, muscular thighs are extremely attractive. So basically, she's going to lose her beauty she won't be attractive anymore. She's going to have a big swelling belly without being pregnant, and she's going to have kind of jelly thighs. 22. And this water that causeth the curse shall go into thy bowels, and make thy belly to swell, and thy thigh to fall away. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. It's a term of agreement. That's why we say amen after somebody else's praise. We're saying, I agree. 23. And the priest shall write these curses in a scroll, and he shall blot them out into the water of bitterness. You know how when you put ink on paper and then if you put the paper in water, the ink might disappear? That's what's going to happen. The ink is going to wash off when he puts the paper in the water. This holy water has the dust from the floor sprinkled on it. Then he writes on a little tiny piece of paper the curse that her belly will swell if she's guilty. And he puts that into the water and the ink comes off of the paper. The fact that the ink comes off shows that if she's innocent, the curse will not affect her. That's what I think it means by the ink coming off. 24. And he shall make the woman drink the water of bitterness that causeth the curse, and the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter. When she drinks the water that has the dust in it, and the dust probably represents the fact that because we're sinners, we go back to dust when we die. We're born into water. When you go through the birth canal, a lot of water comes out. 25. And the priest shall take the meal offering of jealousy out of the woman's hand, and shall wave the meal offering before the Lord, and bring it unto the altar. It becomes a wave offering, saying, God, this is for you. 26. And the priest shall take a handful of the meal offering as a memorial part thereof, and make it smoke upon the altar, and afterwards shall make the woman drink the water. The reason the priest is only taking a handful of the meal offering and sprinkling it is to show that it's for God, but God is going to allow that priest and his family to eat the rest of that meal offering. That's part of their payment for conducting this service, because that's how the priests get their food, by conducting sacrifices. 
27. And when he hath made her drink the water, then it shall come to pass, if she be defiled and have acted unfaithfully against her husband, that the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter, and her belly shall swell, and her thigh shall fall away, and the woman shall be a curse among her people. She'll be like an example. The other woman won't want to commit adultery because they won't want that to happen to them. 28. And if the woman be not defiled, but be clean, then she shall be cleared and shall conceive seed. You know how important children are to women. Because women, they gain status by the more children that they have. And even that's even true today in a lot of cases. But especially back in ancient times, the more children you had, kind of the more powerful you were as a woman. Just like today, the more beautiful you are, the more powerful you are. Today, they've swapped children for beauty. But back then, children was what made you a pillar of the community. If she's innocent, God is going to bless her with another child. Just to say, she's innocent and she deserves a child for being put through this. Then hopefully her husband, if his heart is in the right place, he'll repent of his jealousy and he'll realize how wonderful his wife is and love her even more. 29. This is the law of jealousy, when a wife, being under her husband, goeth aside and is defiled. There is a headship in the family. The husband represents Christ because he is male, so he represents oneness. God is one. That's why God is male. The woman being female represents the church. Female means many. That's why the church is female, because it's many people. There's billions of us. There's only one God. As she represents the church, she falls under the leadership of her husband about what it means to submit to your husband. It doesn't mean that you can let your husband beat you up or that you can let your husband prevent you from using your gifts and your skills and prevent you from having your own personality. It doesn't mean any of that. It means that you willingly put yourself under your husband's authority ultimately. You don't argue with him and nag him about things. You don't disrespect his authority. He doesn't have the authority to dehumanize you or detract from your relationship with the Lord. Part of submission is not cheating on your husband. Just like part of submitting to Jesus is not cheating on Jesus, meaning not following other gods, going astray, and following Buddha and Muhammad and sports figures and movie stars and rock singers. Being in the church and having Christ over us means that he is our one and only leader. Just like when a woman submits to her husband, he is her only lover, nobody else. And the Bible does call Jesus the lover of our souls. And it's for good reason, because we're the church and he is God. 30. Or when the spirit of jealousy cometh upon a man, and he be jealous over his wife, then shall he set the woman before the Lord, and the priest shall execute upon her all this law. 31. And the man shall be clear from iniquity, and that woman shall bear her iniquity. So if she's guilty, she'll pay the price, and he will be clear because he has brought his problem to the Lord. Because he isn't God, he isn't allowed to decide if his wife is guilty or to decide her punishment. The husband is also submitting to the Lord as the woman is submitting to the man. He's clear for two reasons. For one, he obeyed the law by not taking things into his own hand and deciding on his own. He took it to the Lord. And number two, he's the one who paid the price of both the offering and the sacrifice. And she herself didn't have to do anything except swear the oath, and wait upon the Lord and see how he judged her. And that concludes Numbers chapter 5.